Our second Bible reading is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it would help me if you could leave that page open, page 11 in the service program, so that we can keep looking at those verses during the sermon. Let's now bow our heads and pray for God to be at work among us through the preaching of his word. Luke Chapter 24, verse 45 says, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Heavenly Father, we pray for that to happen here and now. Would our minds be opened by the Spirit of Jesus Christ so that we can understand the Scriptures and be transformed as a result? We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I am the bread of life, Jesus says in John chapter 6. That's an invitation to come to Jesus for eternal nourishment. I am the light of the world, Jesus says in John 8. He calls us to leave the confusion of spiritual darkness and come to him for the well-lit life. I am the gate for the sheep, Jesus says in John 10. He opens up the way to the green pasture of life in all its fullness. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says in John 10. He leads us and guides us through this world with its obstacles and traps. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says to Martha in John 11, when we come to know Jesus, our dead souls are raised to life, and that life will never end. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus tells his disciples in John 14. He alone provides access to the Father, truth from the Father, and life with the Father. Here in John 15, we have the last of Jesus' seven I am sayings. 
I am the true vine. Verse 1. This seventh I am saying is rather different from the other six. The other six seem to be invitational. They're designed to attract people from every possible background to Jesus. But this seventh I am saying is mainly directed at people already following Jesus. It's not about coming to him. It's about staying in him. Abide in me, he says. There it is in verse 4. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay in me. If you're listening today as a non-Christian, this Bible passage is still relevant for you. Please do keep listening. Because what Jesus says in this passage will show you more of what the Christian life is like. What he says will show you what life would be like for you if you put your trust in Jesus and follow him. Jesus compares himself in this passage to a vine. The vine plant develops branches that produce fruit, and that will be the structure of this sermon. Vine, branches, fruit, beginning with the true vine. The true vine. When you enter this uh, building that we're in, 158 West 72nd Street, the store immediately on your right as you go in is Acker Wines. It's the retail store of a wine auctioning business that hit the headlines in 2012 for the wrong kind of reason. Acker had been auctioning fraudulent wines. A wine dealer named Rudy Kearney Arwen had been selling extremely valuable bottles of wine via Acker's auctions, making millions of dollars through the sales. But the wine in the bottles wasn't what it should have been. The wine inside didn't match up with the labels on the front of the bottles. When FBI agents raided Rudy Kearney Arwen's house in Los Angeles, they found all the items necessary for producing fake bottles of super expensive wine. Empty bottles, forged labels, old corks, and equipment for inserting corks into bottles. They found scribbled notes saying which cheap Californian wines could be passed off as much more expensive French wines. The wine that Rudy Kearney Arwen had been selling through Acker's auctions wasn't the real deal. It was worthless wine. We heard a similar story in our first Bible reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 5. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. Isaiah is speaking about God's experience with ancient Israel. 
Later in that passage, Isaiah says, For the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his delightful plant. So he waited for justice, but behold, there was bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Isaiah's point is that Israel should have been a vine producing good fruit. Everything was in place for Israel to produce good fruit, but that's not how things turned out. We could say that the wine coming out of that vineyard didn't match up with the wine God was hoping for. But here in John 15 verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. The true vine. He and he alone is the vine that bears good fruit for God. With Jesus, the wine poured out of the bottle matches up with the label on the bottle. It meets God's highest expectations. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine Israel was always meant to be. I'm the true vine. God gave Israel hundreds of laws to keep. 613 is the generally accepted number. Out of all the Israelites, Jesus and only Jesus kept each and every law. He lived a perfectly obedient life. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. And that's why Jesus declares himself to be the true vine. He's saying that he is the Israel that truly meets God's expectations for righteousness. Jesus doesn't replace Israel. He was an Israelite himself. Instead, he reconstitutes Israel. He gives Israel a new beginning in himself, around himself, as the long-awaited Messiah. The Bible commentator Bruce Milne explains it like this. Jesus is the true vine through whom the age-old purpose of Israel would be fulfilled. That's why Jesus tells the eleven disciples with him that night, abide in me. They wouldn't be able to fulfill Israel's purpose outside of Jesus, away from him. And the same is true today. To belong to the people of God, God's own people, you need to trust in Jesus, the true vine, and remain in him. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile, you can belong to God's people, his true vine, by trusting in Jesus. And once we're connected to Jesus through faith, once we become branches on the vine, well, we need to stay in him. We need to stay in the vine. That brings us to the second part of the sermon, the true branches, the true branches. Please look down to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Those words were spoken originally to the 11 disciples with Jesus that night. But they apply to everyone who claims to be a Christian. 
Some people who claim to follow Jesus reveal through their fruitlessness that they're not genuinely following him. They're Christians in name only, not in heart and life. Those branches are taken away. Judas Iscariot, who was among Jesus' followers until that very evening, is an example of a branch taken away. Real believers, on the other hand, produce good fruit as we remain in Jesus, like branches extending from the vine. Well, this vine and branches picture is both wonderful and challenging. We'll look at the wonder of the picture first before moving on to the challenging aspect of this picture. The vine and branches picture is wonderful because it shows we're not acting in isolation. We're organically connected to Jesus himself. Christians can easily think that we bear fruit when we do things of our own invention to please Jesus up there in heaven. But the vine branches picture gives us a different way of seeing things. Jesus is the source of our fruitful activity. It flows from him, like sap flowing up from the roots of the vine, up through the vine and out into the branches. And that fits with something Jesus said earlier in this section of John's Gospel, the farewell discourse. In John 14, verse 18, Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Through the sending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' followers keep enjoying intimate fellowship with him. We perceive that he lives and that he loves us. As Christians seeking to bear fruit in this world, we're not acting in individual isolation. We're branches organically connected to the vine. If we can get that picture firmly into place, it will correct some mistaken ways of thinking. It will correct us when we're proud about the fruit we bear. When we're tempted to be tremendously pleased with ourselves for doing splendidly well in the Christian life. No. If we've produced fruit, it's Jesus, the true vine, who has produced it through us. As he says in verse 4, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. That's elementary horticulture, isn't it? The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You see a branch just there on the ground, it's not going to produce apples or cherries or grapes by itself. It needs to be connected to the tree. So it corrects our pride, this picture. The vine branches picture can also correct our competitiveness, that temptation to think, look at all the fruit I'm producing compared with so-and-so over there. No, Jesus, if Jesus has, for his own reasons, brought out more fruit from this branch than that branch, that's his business. 
it's not something to get competitive about. And the vine branches picture can also correct Christian workaholism. There is a kind of Christian workaholism where a Christian can't stop saying, yes, I'll, I'll do that, I'll go there, I'll help with that. And before too long, they have no spare time. They exist in a constant state of exhaustion and they don't really do anything as well as it should be done. My observation is that Christians who carefully seek Jesus' leading and his guidance before they say yes to things, they're not the ones who end up getting swamped by Christian workaholism. It's certainly true that Jesus' guided fruitfulness can put people through a very demanding season, but he doesn't overburden his people. That is not his way. It's wonderful to know that we are branches organically connected to Jesus, the true vine. Or to use those words from John 14, quoted earlier, it's wonderful to know we're not orphans. Through the Spirit, Jesus dwells within us. We can expect him to guide us and empower us and restore us and do all the other good things that come from that vine branch connectivity. As we sang just a moment ago, oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus, satisfied he is all that I need. May it become what may that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus. He's the vine with the branches coming out from him. But alongside the wonder of this vine branches picture, there is a challenge. In verse 1, Jesus describes God the Father as the vine dresser, meaning the gardener who tends the vine. And Jesus says in verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Jesus is talking there about the true branches, the fruitful ones. God the Father will prune them. Pruning is the cutting away of a branch's unwanted shoots with a sharp knife. It is more like surgery than a haircut. Moving from the picture to the reality it represents, what is it that the Father wants to remove from the lives of real Christians? It's our sinful behavior, the patterns of wrongdoing in our lives that thwart greater fruitfulness. Jesus speaks in a similarly surgical way in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Jesus makes the process sound painful, both here in John 15 and also in the Sermon on the Mount, because it is often painful. It's challenging to submit to the Father's pruning. In our warped way, human beings often enjoy sin, or at least we think we enjoy it even if it leaves a bad taste in our mouth and harms our life, we think we enjoy it. And so it can be difficult to submit to the Father's pruning. 
But we must submit to that pruning. If we want to stay in the vine, we'll have to submit to the Father's pruning. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Submitting to the Father's pruning is part of what it means to be a true branch. How in practice does God the Father prune us? How does he get at our stubborn sins? It can be as simple as a guilty conscience driving us to take action against sin by the power of God's Spirit. Or it can be more complicated. Sometimes God works in our lives through trials, through hard circumstances, because in his wisdom he knows that is the best way to bring sin to our attention. God takes no pleasure in our distress. His motive is love. Look again at the second half of verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. God lovingly wants us to become more fruitful. It's good that he prunes us. But we should prepare ourselves for the pain of pruning. When you sense God's pruning shears cutting into you, don't push him away rebelliously. Draw near to him. Cooperate with him. Ask him to reveal the lessons you should be learning. All of that is part of what it means to stay in the vine. Now, before we move on to the last part of the sermon, there is a potential misunderstanding here which has to be cleared up. We mustn't think that through divine pruning we'll slowly become good enough for God until finally he rewards us with eternal salvation. Jesus is so eager to squelch that possible misunderstanding that he immediately says in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Already you are clean. Jesus is deliberately setting up a tension between verse 2 and verse 3. The 11 disciples he's talking to were all fruitful branches, exactly the kind of branch that God the Father would be pruning in years to come. Yet in verse 3, Jesus says they're already clean, already pruned. The tension is hard to miss in the original language because the same word is used for he prunes, verse 2, and clean, verse 3. In the original language, Jesus says, every branch that does bear fruit, he cleans, that it may bear more fruit. And then right away, he says, already you are clean. It's a classic case of the Bible setting up what looks like a contradiction. Why does the Bible do that so often? It's so that we will stop and think about it and scratch our heads and chew it over and figure it out. Believers need pruning because our sins hold us back from greater fruitfulness. And yet, also true, we've already been fully pruned through Jesus' death and resurrection. In his love, he cut away all our sins and took them upon himself through his sacrificial death on the cross. Later in the New Testament, the same tension pops up again. Jesus says, uh, Peter says to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1, Be holy in all your conduct. And yet in Hebrews 10 verse 10, Christians are told, 
we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Be holy, we have been made holy. That's the same kind of tension that we're seeing in our passage today. Submit to the Father's pruning. You're already clean. Both are true. Praise God, we live as clean people. Our sins have been taken away and punished in the person of Jesus. And yet, we need the Father's ongoing pruning so that there isn't a nasty mismatch between the person you really are and the way you live. So let's submit to God the Father's pruning. It's part of what it means to stay in the vine. It's time for the final part of the sermon. True fruit. True fruit. One of the most thrilling things about this Bible passage is its message that simply through staying in the vine, we will produce fruit. Take a look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Fruit will be produced because it's produced by Jesus. He's the vine and it's the vine that makes the branches fruitful. Simply by remaining in him, we will produce fruit. But we can't leave things there because when we read those words at the start of verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away we naturally ask the question, what's the fruit that must be present if we're to avoid being taken away? What's the fruit? The question gets even more urgent when we see in verse 6, what happens to the fruitless branches that are taken away? Jesus says in verse 6, they're gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. So what's the fruit that must be present? if we're to avoid being taken away. Our first Bible reading can help us. In the last two lines of that passage, the language switches out of vine imagery to plain speech. Isaiah says, So he waited for justice, but behold, there was bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Good fruit is justice and righteousness. In brief, it is right living. But this right living is defined by the Bible, not by the world around us. For example, right living, according to the Bible, involves gathering on the Lord's day with God's people to worship Jesus together. That's not something the world around us will be telling us to do. Right living, according to the Bible, involves taking opportunities to speak about Jesus when those opportunities arise. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Right living, according to the Bible, involves praying for things we want to see happen. Take a look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The second half of that verse, that extraordinary promise, shouldn't be 
ripped away from the context provided by the first half as Jesus' words abide in us, as we internalize his teaching, if you like, we'll find that we ask God to do the things that he himself wants to do. The big point here is that right living is defined by the word of God. It's the word of God that tells us to come and worship Jesus, that encourages us to speak of Jesus when we have opportunities to speak of him. It's the word of God that encourages us to ask Jesus for things in accordance with his word. Right living, as defined by the world around us, doesn't glorify the Father. And in verse 8, Jesus says that the good fruit produced by his branches will glorify the Father. Right living as defined by the world doesn't result in glory and honour and praise, particularly going to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, that glory, honour and praise that goes to the God and Father of Jesus comes through right living as defined by the Bible, biblical right living. The fruit of that right living is glory going to God the Father through Jesus. That's the fruit that Jesus has in mind throughout this passage, right living that glorifies the Father. That's why he says those striking words in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. According to Jesus, what really counts in the final analysis, the eternal analysis, heaven's analysis, is right living that glorifies God. And that right living comes from connection to Jesus, the one true vine. It's powered by him, by his spirit. It happens as his words abide in us. If we stay in him, we will demonstrate that right living, we will produce that good fruit. stay in Jesus. He's the only true vine. Remain in him. Abide in him. It would be good for us to leave this morning with abide in me, ringing in our ears. Three times in this short passage, Jesus says, abide in me. And yet, as those words ring in our ears, we do need to remember that it is not as if everything depends on us. Elsewhere in John's Gospel, and we'll close with these words, Jesus says, this is John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29.
My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's very similar to abiding in the vine, isn't it? A different picture, obviously, but very similar meaning. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus will keep his people in the vine. Let's pray together. Abide in me. Lord Jesus, we pray those words would ring in our ears as we go out from church this morning. We pray that as they ring in our ears, we would remember that you keep your people. We will not be snatched out of your hand. We pray that you would thrill us and delight us with this prospect of producing fruit as we remain in you. We ask that you would prepare us for your Father's pruning of us. Help us to respond well when that pruning happens. Perhaps some of those listening are going through a pruning experience at the moment. Give them strength. Help them to draw near to the Father and so remain in the vine. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into this world to be the true vine that we can belong to. Amen.